God for that. If you don't know who I am, I'm Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so excited to be sharing from God's Word with you this morning. Can we pray to get started? Father, we thank you that you've already been at work in our lives and our hearts, God, and so we're just, we're just becoming more aware of it in this moment. Lord, just as the scriptures are opened, as they're read, Lord, would you speak to our hearts? God, I've got a message that I want to share with these people. May it be your message. May it be what you want to share. And uh, God, wherever we're at, may it connect with a need, whether we're aware of it or not, and help us, Lord, to be more in love with Jesus. Thank you for all you do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple? And, and how does one even become a fully formed disciple? Is it the result of programs, Bible reading, seminars, seminary, retreat, years, etc.? And since Jesus commanded us to make disciples, why is it that we seem to not all be on the same page? If, if you grew up in church, you've probably heard two or three different versions of discipleship plans, right? Programs, groups, one-on-ones. And, and maybe if you've gone to the same church long enough, you've heard the church come up with different plans and one-on-ones and groups, right? But those of us who are new to church, the idea of discipleship is completely foreign because we don't use words like that anymore. So following up on, on the series, the, the New You, I, I, I think that this transitions very well. We just got done, Pastor David, sharing uh, the, the story of what it means to be new, a new heart, new future, new name. And this, out of this newness comes this responsibility, what do we do with it, right? And so I want to build this morning off of that. But when I say discipleship, let me define the terms. When I say discipleship, I mean the journey of being with Jesus— and doing what Jesus said for the glory of the Father while becoming like Jesus by the power of the Spirit. I'll say that again. When I say, when I say discipleship, I mean the journey of being with G Jesus and doing what Jesus said for the glory of the Father while becoming like Jesus by the power of the Spirit. And this definition isn't new to me. It's not original to me. It's from John Mark Comer, and he got it from uh, Dallas Willard, and Dallas Willard got it from someone else. You know, like, that's the good news. This is not original. But my plan this morning is to show you from the Scriptures that, that this is one way of understanding what Jesus meant when he talked about discipleship. And hopefully each of us will walk away more in awe of Jesus, because that's what all discipleship is about, pointing us to a greater understanding and vision and view of Jesus. So hopefully we'll walk away more in awe of Jesus and his invitation to a deeper relationship with him. But because there's confusion over how all this plays out, I want to summarize a few ways discipleship has been understood. For some, discipleship is a catch-all. It just means that it's when you, where you are, who you're with, and what you're doing. It's more of like the idea of community and learning. So think Bible study. That, that discipleship is summed up by Bible study. But others have responded and say, no, the emphasis needs to be on the practice. It needs to be on the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines, as you grow individually with Jesus. But the issue is for some on this side is that they don't really want to learn. They just want to do. They, they, they forget that Jesus wasn't just practicing a new way of life, but he was also teaching about the new coming kingdom. But still more, discipleship has sometimes been equated in the modern culture with leadership development. The idea behind this is that Jesus was the greatest leader ever, and so because he's the greatest leader ever, when we become like him, we will also be good leaders. And the reality is in each of these understandings, there's truth. There's biblical emphasis. 
doing, being, becoming. The problem is, is whenever we boil down discipleship to one of these aspects, we miss out on important things God wants to do in us. But what did Jesus mean? What, what, what did the disciples mean when they said discipleship? Well, let's go to the original language. In Greek, the word we translate disciple is mathetes. Say it with me. Mathetes. Mathetes. And it means learner, or more specifically, someone who actively engages in what they're learning. Today, we might call this kind of learner an apprentice. And this is an important distinction between how we usually learn. Usually, we learn when someone's standing up here talking, and then you listen, and hopefully do it. And, and some, even, even in school, right? Like, if you didn't like school, your teacher hoped that you would listen and do what they said. But the problem is they can't follow you home and help you do what they said. And it's really, this approach is really good for learning information, but it doesn't always connect to life change. Being able to recite the right facts may mean we understood the information, but that isn't the summation of discipleship. However, in apprenticeships and good internships, the goal isn't just information to know, but examples to follow. Not just information to know, but examples to follow. It's learning information in the context of application. And this is what Jesus meant when he commanded us to make disciples in the Great Commission. He wants us to make, to repeat the process that we've been, that's been done to us. Let me explain. Literally, that we would teach and show people how to follow Jesus. And that we would do it to such a degree that we would be able to repeat the process for others. So whatever discipleship looks like for us, we need to be able to do it for others. That's what Jesus meant, because it's multiplication. It's not just us becoming disciples. It's us becoming disciples who make disciples. And this is what Jesus was doing the whole time. The whole time Jesus was with his disciples, he was showing them the way that they were supposed to live and the doctrine they were supposed to teach. Jesus was inviting them not just into a way of life, not just into salvation, but into a new way of being, being with him and becoming and doing what he said. But how do we do that? How do we live in the process of what Jesus has called us to do? Remembering that discipleship is not really a destination so much as it is a journey one that will take a lifetime, if done right. And ultimately, following Jesus in his way is an invitation to, from Jesus. And it's an invitation that he gives us when he says, follow me, but he also invites us to abide in him. And so that's the title of the sermon today, Abide in Me. This invitation Jesus gives us from the gospel according to John chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn there. If you don't have an NLT Bible, we have some in the back for you behind the coffee bar. And I would encourage you to grab one. But just as you turn there, and just some context for you as you get there, this is the night before Jesus is betrayed and crucified. So, so these are Jesus' last words. These are very important that we understand that this is what Jesus wants the disciples to get. If you only had one day to live, you'd be very careful in what you pick to say. Obviously, Jesus is perfect, and so he's always careful, but you know what I mean. Um, he had just finished telling his disciples about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to remind you of everything I taught you, and he's going to give you power, power to live out this new life. This is what Pastor David talked about a couple weeks ago in Ezekiel and Deuteronomy, this new heart and this new spirit. And now he's getting them ready because he's about to go to the garden. In, 14, in chapter 14, verse 31, it says that let's get, let's get going, but they don't get going yet. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a dinner party where people are talking, but it takes a couple tries, right? And so, so in 31, he says, let's get going, and then wait, let's talk some more. Um, but but he, he wants them to understand something before they get to the garden. And so that's what we have in John chapter 15. Read with me. It says this. I am the true grapevine. 
and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay, one, lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I chose you, Jesus says. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. This is the word of the Lord. So Jesus makes his final I am statement. In the gospel according to John, Jesus has seven statements where he claims divinity. Because it's, again, as Pastor David pointed out in our last series, there's a lot of connections, guys. Uh, God revealed his name as I am. I am that I am. I am the one who always existed. And so when Jesus says I am, he's making a claim of divinity. If anyone ever tells you Jesus didn't claim to be God, they haven't read John. However, he, in this particular instance, he connects it to the illustration of a vine. And this Im imagery would have been very tangible to his hearers. They would have seen vines everywhere. It would have been like palm trees in Southern California. You would have seen them everywhere. And greater still, the beauty of this imagery is found in what it illustrates, which is our desperate need to be connected to Jesus. And it brings us back to the first part of my definition. Discipleship is the process of being with Jesus. Discipleship is the process of being with Jesus. The imagery of a branch lying on the ground and dying is very common in California. Sometimes the, tr the branches start dying before they fall off in California. Um, but Jesus says this is what the lives of those who live apart from him are like, that they're unable to bear fruit. Look again at what Jesus says in verses 4 through 6. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a, into a pile to be burned. Discipleship, which is the natural overflow of the new life. This is supposed to be the next step. When you're made new by Jesus, when Jesus gives you this new life, the natural next step is obedience and following him. And so in this natural overflow, it is a possible apart from Jesus. We cannot bear fruit, which means we cannot truly be Jesus' disciples. Now, this isn't a scare tactic from Jesus. Remember who's with him at this point. Judas Iscariot has already left to betray him. Judas Iscariot has already gone to go grab the mob to betray Jesus. Everyone who's listening to Jesus in this moment will one day be persecuted and even die for Jesus. 
So this isn't a passage about whether you can lose your salvation. That's not what this is going on about. It's a passage about whether or not they will be fruitful. Look at what Jesus says to his disciples in verse 3. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Already. It's already accomplished. The question for his disciples weren't, what well, wasn't, were they saved? It was, were they going to bear fruit? And that same question comes to us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. Will we bear fruit? And the answer is not. It, it, it's impossible if we do, try and do it apart from him. It's, it's impossible to do anything in the Christian life apart from Jesus. But I don't know about you guys, but sometimes, if I'm honest, I find myself trying to do things by my own power. I, I, I try and do things by my own will. Like I, like, I know what I'm supposed to do, and so I try it very hard. I try and live out my life and my faith, my day-to-day, -day, by my own strength. I wonder if anyone else feels the same. Too often I can find myself being so busy, even busy doing things for Jesus, that I, don't, that I haven't prioritized being with him enough. Does anyone else ever feel like that? You're so busy doing things, so good things, things that are, that God, are godly and God-glorifying, but you haven't prioritized being with Jesus enough. Still, I think we skip this time or we don't prioritize this time as much as we should because of two competing lies. We believe that we are either too busy or think he can't be bothered by our issues. We, we are either too busy. We, we, and in Southern California, we love to do things. We don't like having a day that's empty on our planner. We love to do things. Even on our days off, we want to go do something, right? So we're so busy that we, we made ourselves too busy to be with Jesus. Or, or maybe that you're, you're going through something and you're like, no, God's got so many bigger things. He's got the thing going on in Jackson, Mississippi. He doesn't have time for my problems. But these lies, they don't stand up to the invitation we have in Jesus to abide in him, to remain in him. The word we translate remain here can also be translated abide. It is the idea of making yourself at home. It's the idea of being on a long journey and putting your bags down. Jesus is saying, you don't need to keep striving anymore. Make yourself at home in me. Jesus is saying, you don't need to keep working so hard. Make yourself at home in me. Put down your bags. Rest a little bit. Jesus doesn't want us to just visit him on Wednesdays and Sundays. He wants us to remain in him always. He wants us to remain in him always. Be at church on Wednesdays and Sundays, absolutely. But it's not just here. He wants you to abide in him always. And this is a key component of discipleship because Jesus has invited us to remain in him. If we skip this part, we'll only bear false fruit. All of our striving and trying is no replacement for abiding in and being with Jesus. Our striving and trying apart from Jesus is like taping apples to a dead tree. Someone who's driving by may be fooled, but those who know you close won't. It's like taping apples on a dead tree. We may fool those who are driving by, but we will never fool those who are close. But I don't want to end this section on a negative note. I don't want you to stop there. The idea of being able to remain in Jesus, this is an invitation, not condemnation. This is an invitation to, to know Jesus, to be close to Jesus, to know that he loves you. Despite our day-to-day, -day, despite the fact that we sometimes feel unworthy, this is good news. And any form of discipleship that's about following more rules or doing more or striving or trying apart from being with Jesus is bad news. But discipleship, which invites us to know and be known by Jesus, the one who loves us even unto death, that's good news. And Jesus says so in verse 13, there's no greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You want to know what Jesus thinks about you? He calls you his friend and he dies for you. 
whatever thing you may be going through, no matter how bad it may be, no matter how much your past is messed up, no matter what you're going through, Jesus loves you enough to die for you. So you're infinitely valuable. And this is whom we are invited to abide and remain in. Discipleship that is going to bear fruit that is intended to, it must be one of being with Jesus. And Jesus says that when we remain in him, when we are abiding in him and his word in us, he will give us everything we ask for. I'll explain that a little bit more in a moment. But of course, Jesus isn't just going to give us everything we want, not, not, not at first, but anything we ask for while abiding in him and his word abiding in us. And again, we'll talk about that when we get to becoming. So this impacts not just what we do, but what we want. The first part of this process is being with Jesus. The second part is doing what Jesus said. In verse 14, Jesus says this, You are my friends if you do what I command. If you do what I command. Discipleship starts with being with Jesus, right? But it also includes being obedient to Jesus. It's not just presence, but obedience that God wants. But his commandments aren't burdensome. No, it's not thou shalt not enjoy life. That's not Jesus' commands. No, Jesus' commands are for our joy. In John 10, 10, he says this, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life, abundant life. That's God's purpose for you. And he says something similar to it in verses 9 through 11. Hear, hear it again. It says this, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things. Why, Jesus, why are you saying these things? I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. God's offering, his invitation to obedience is for your joy. It's for your joy. It's not for a burden. And our obedience to his commands, when we are living with him, when we are being with him, our obedience is an overflow of being with Jesus. Our obedience flows from being with him because we, we know him and we know that when he commands something for us, it's for our good and not just to tell us what to do. This is only possible if we see this through the lens of imitation. Our response to following Jesus, our obedience isn't supposed to be an attempt. Hear, hear me, friends. Our response to Jesus, our obedience, isn't supposed to be an attempt to earn what he's already offered us. It's not an attempt to earn what he's already given us. God has already given us his love, his grace, his new life. He's already given us all these things. So our obedience is not trying to attempt to grab it from him because he's already given it to us. We don't need to try harder to work and earn God's approval. He has already offered us eternal approval in Jesus. Freely. So our obedience isn't new shackles to put on. You know, as if God just wants you to try harder and do better and all these things, as if that was all that he wanted. No, he wants you to exist in him and your obedience to overflow from a relationship of love with him. They're not new shackles. They're the ability to have a rich and satisfying life, abundant life. Here, we, we the pastors, we like to say something, and I think Pastor David came up with it, but it, it's just really good. We want people to take a step from lost to found and found to freed. Lost to found, found to freed. When you're in Christ, you're found. And we want you to take that next step of obedience to being free. And the, the commands that Jesus gives us are for our freedom. It was for freedom that the Spirit has set us free, right? We are saved from the penalty of sin and given new life only through Jesus' obedience and sacrifice, not our own. But once we have been saved... We are invited to a new life that following Jesus gives. 
and doing what Jesus said will produce fruit, and it will result in the glory of God the Father. The Westminster Catechism says it this way, that God, that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what this is getting at, to glorify God by, by living the way he called us to, by being obedient to the commands he's given us, and to enjoy him in, because of that. Because when we live obediently, we don't have those things going on in the back of our heads like, oh, but does God really love you? Does, maybe that'll happen. But, but the more you walk obediently, the more you have freedom to go, no, I know that God loves me. And my response is obedience because I know he loves me, not to earn his love. When you produce much fruit, it says in verse 8, when you produce much fruit, you are truly my disciples. This brings my Father, this brings great glory to my Father. So obeying Jesus is, to, is how we show the world that we are followers and friends of Jesus. But it also bears fruit for the world around us to see. The reason why it brings glory to God your Father is this. is One is it shows that you love him, right? Our obedience is because we love him. But it also shows the world what it means to be free. What it means to be free. In 1 John, it says it this way. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because of the spirit he gave us, lives in us. So our obedience to Jesus is not only a part of growing as Jesus' disciples, it's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But the Spirit at work in us looks like obedience through us. The Spirit at work in us looks like obedience through us. And what does this obedience primarily look like? It looks like this in verse 12. Love each other the same way I have loved you. This is what obedience, if you want to sum up all of God, God's commands to you, all your commands as a Christian, is this, love each other the way, same way that I have loved you. And this will bear the fruit of being Jesus' disciples. When we remember to be with him, to abide in him and his love, his word in us will cause us to obey him. And we will love each other as Jesus loved us. And, and Jesus says this again in John thir chapter 13. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You want to prove to the world you're Jesus' disciples? Love each other. Because that's what Jesus was known for, love, right? And that's not wishy-washy, like, fluffy love. It's real love. It's the love that shows up in the pain. It's the love that shows up in the suffering. It's the love that shows up in the hard times. Because love never fails. Discipleship is about being with Jesus. It's about doing what he said, and it's about becoming like Jesus. Look again with me at 1512. It says this. This is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. Jesus says that we are to love others the way that he loves us. Well, that requires us to be like him, right? How does it connect to discipleship? In Romans 8, 29, Paul says this, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. What, what a picture, right? He chose us to become like Jesus. Did you know that one day, if you're a follower of Jesus, you will be like Jesus? He chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Paul says that Paul's been building this crescendo of a letter, one of the most theological books ever written. And in the middle, at the climax of the book, he, he gives us this promise that one day we will be like Jesus. God chose before the world began that people who followed Jesus would become like Jesus. And no matter how we interpret God's sovereignty and our responsibility, we must never let it distract us from the beautiful promise that one day we will be like Jesus. But even though its fulfillment is in the future, part of discipleship is beginning to do it now. But how? Well, it's the overflow of being with Jesus. 
and the Spirit's work in us. Jesus said in John 14 that he's going to send the helper who's going to give us power. Power to what? To live like he did, to love like he did. That's what the Spirit's coming to do, is to give us the power to be like Jesus, to make us more like Jesus. Both Jesus and the Holy Spirit are way more committed to bringing you into that image than you are. My brother Nathaniel reminded me of a verse this morning. I think God wanted me to remember it because I didn't in my study. Is that he who began a good work in you is faithful and just to complete it at the coming day of Jesus Christ. That, that what he's began in you will be brought about. That, that God doesn't give up on you just because you might give up on him. The submission to Jesus in order to become like him, it's not microwavable though, right? Sanctification can't happen overnight, even though I wish it did. So much of discipleship is outward, right? It's the things we do. It's whether, whether or not we're loving our neighbors, right? Whether or not we're, we're, we're spending time with Jesus, whether we're being with him, whether we're doing what he said. So much of it is outward. But this one thing cannot be rushed, and it cannot be forged. Some can fake it for a time, but the journey is too hard to fake forever. You see, Jesus waited 30 years before sharing the gospel of the kingdom. And some of us were like, why would you wait 30 years? Like, what about all the things you could have done? What about all the people you could have shared the good news with? What about all the people you could have healed already? What about all the amazing things you could have done in those 30 years? But God's like, no. He's more committed to the process and not just the product. His effectiveness in ministry, Jesus' effectiveness in ministry began back in his obedience and his patience with the Father, becoming who he was called to be. And the Bible says this, he grew in favor both with God and man, that he learned obedience, which is a crazy idea. But this part of discipleship, this part, excuse me, this part of discipleship is playing the long game by being committed to the community that Jesus gives us and trusting God in the experiences of the highs and lows of life that comes our way. That, 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 that Jesus will give you exactly what you need to become like him. You only just need to wait. If we're, if we're aware, if we're, if we're being with Jesus, if we're doing what he said, he's going to bring about opportunities for us to be, be like him. He's going to bring out opportunities for us to grow in Christ-likeness, whether it's through suffering and sorrow or joy and, and victory. We are all given opportunities throughout this life that God has given us to become more and more like Jesus. And this is supposed to bring us joy. If we're committed to the long haul, the journey of following Jesus, abiding in him, we will have overflowing joy. And as we conform to Jesus, we will begin to ask what Jesus would ask for. And going back again to verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. That this is what Jesus is talking about. That as you become like him, he won't just shape your, what you do and, and how you love, but he'll shape your wants and desires too. And that as he does that, you'll see your prayers get more yeses. Because you're like, wait a second. I'm in tune with Jesus. I'm living the way he has, would have me live. You'll, you'll start to see some of that. Now, not all the time. I'm not saying everything is going to be, yeah. You, you still will need to learn some of that. But my point is, is that as you become like Jesus, he will then give you yeses to your prayers as you walk with him. Anyways, discipleship is the process of being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus by the power of the Spirit. It's also doing what Jesus said for the glory of God. When I was a little kid, my grandpa was one of my favorite people ever. I mean, he's still one of my favorite people ever. But the reason why is because he, he was a jokester. Like, he'd pull tricks on us all the time. And, and he, whether it was me, my cousins, my aunts and uncles, even my grandma, and she wasn't as big a fan of it. But he would play jokes all the time. And he could at times be given to big emotions. He loved the angels, which is filled with disappointment, kind of like the Padres. 
You, you Dodgers fans wouldn't understand. Just, just kidding. But over the years, as I, as I saw, as I grew up, as I started to follow Jesus, I started to notice a change in him. He had been walking with Jesus for a long time before I was even thought of. But in the years between my childhood and my late teens, he had really committed to following Jesus more closely. And I could spend hours telling you about the things that he, he learned. He would spend every morning just studying the Word of God and just getting as deep as he could into it. And I could spend hours telling you the things he taught me. And, and every Sunday in church, he would be in the back pew and shouting loudestly when, when, when the preacher pointed to Jesus. He'd say, Amen! People would actually, like, try to avoid the service he was in because he was so loud. <laughs> But, but beside all that, I remember seeing a man who was stern give way to a man who would regularly wipe tears from his eyes as he told me what God had been teaching him. A, a man who was given to crass words that I will never repeat, especially on stage. Um, that gave way to a man who would kindly greet anyone and everyone who would chat with him. Despite the many ups and downs of life, he had a steadfast anchor in Jesus, and the more he drew closer to Jesus, the more clearly I saw Jesus in him. Because here's the reality, guys, is that this text is authoritative. It's inspired by the Spirit. But we still need to see it show up in the faces of those around us. We still need Jesus to show up. That's why Jesus is making us like him, so we can be a reflection of what he's like. And through my grandpa, as awesome as he was, it's, it's truly a story of how awesome Jesus is, doing what he said. Jesus promises to make us like him. And as my grandpa walked closely with Jesus, I saw Jesus in him. And when we do what Jesus said, when we become like him, when we're with Jesus, when we regularly are with Jesus, it, it can actually change the lives of the people around us. Because we are saved by the grace of God. There's tremendous joy in that new life. But there's something about that faithful journey, as tough as it is, that, that shows the, the beauty of the gospel even more. My, my grandpa and many others, I'm sure, in this room are a testament to the product of Jesus' process in them. And as we finish up today, I just want to close with a couple of cautions in talking about discipleship and a challenge. The first caution is this. Don't let your discipleship turn into sin management. Don't let your discipleship turn into sin management. Because Jesus doesn't invite you to sin management. He invites you to communion with him. He invites you to abide with him. Sometimes we settle into a life of just trying to sin less rather than obedience. Here's what I mean. When you think about your walk this week, when you think about your walk with Jesus, are you focusing more on how little you sinned or how close you've drawn to Jesus? Because how do you evaluate how faithful you are, right? We're all, we've all got measurements that we've, uh, we've assumed, right? How do you evaluate your walk with Jesus, how little you sinned or how close you've drawn? Because as we draw near to Jesus, he will take care of the sin. But if we're just trying to do it on our own, there's a reason why we don't have joy the rich and satisfying life Jesus offers us isn't one of managing our sins, but enjoying him. Don't settle aiming at good behavior when you can enjoy your Savior. And the second caution is this. Don't become a fruit inspector. <laughs> I know I'm preaching now. Sorry. We can tend to think that in our discipleship, that as we become aware of our own sins, that we see the same in others. And instead of focusing on how we and they can grow closer to Christ, we see how far they ha still have left to go. We are called to love others as Jesus loved us, and that is a command to him for us. But how has Jesus loved you in your weakness? Did Jesus judge you in your weakness? 
No, he offered forgiveness and a relationship with him. Instead of judging those around us, let us pray for them and encourage them and help them. There's one accuser of the brethren, and you're not him. As we go into this fall season, I, I want to challenge you. Where do you need to grow in your discipleship? Is it being with Jesus? Have you settled into sin management rather than enjoying Jesus and abide, abiding in Jesus, relationship with Jesus? Are you intentionally prioritizing time and opportunities to be with Jesus? As you look at your calendar, where, where are your priorities? Or, or maybe you need to grow in, in your fruitfulness through obedience to Jesus. Maybe you know where, where you haven't lived up to what Jesus has commanded. Maybe you're not living the full freedom that God has for you. Don't let yourself believe the lie that your obedience is God's approval of you. Don't believe that lie. But still know that God's calling you to obedience for your joy and for your good and for his glory. God sees you as he sees Jesus. You're already approved. Allow yourself to live in the freedom and living out that abundant life. And finally, ask, am I becoming more like Jesus? Where do I need to still grow to be more like Jesus? Because ultimately, that, that Christ-likeness is for others, not just you. It's for others, because if our faith is at all real, it should bring about Christ-likeness. It should. Where do you need to pray to be more like Christ? This fall, we'll be starting our midweek group. And in each Wednesday night, we'll be eating at 6, just like the early church did. They ate together, and they prayed together, and they, they, they sat under the teaching of the apostles. But we'll be, we'll be meeting together every Wednesday and eating together and then dropping off our kids at 6.30 for Awana, because 6.45 they start, and if you push them back, I'm not going to hold Margie back. <laughs> Just kidding. Margie's really nice. Um, and then we'll spend about an hour talking about these practices. And because the reality is, is that if we're on our own, trying to do it by ourselves, we're, we might not have it right. None of us is aware of all of our blind spots. None of us. And so I know this will be a time, a very practical side of each of these three emphases, of being with Jesus, of doing what Jesus said, and becoming like him. It'll be an opportunity for you. So I really encourage you, if you don't already have anything going on, to be there, to be a part of it. And, and in close, I want to read the words of a, of a song, a hymn, from Judson de Venter. He was a hymn writer and evangelist of the 19th century. And, and oftentimes I think we associate this song with salvation, we, we associate this song with, with the moment we turn to Jesus, but in reality, it's the whole Christian life. And it says this, All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Let's pray. Jesus, we... we we know that we fall short. That's what the gospel says, God, is that none of us are perfect, none of us live up to our own expectations and, and our own rules, let alone yours. But because of the great love that you have for us, you died for us, and, and it gave us this opportunity for a new life. You gave us this opportunity to know you more, to know you more fully, and, and you've invited us to abide in you, to, to play, place down our bags, because we've been traveling so long to finally be at home in you, to be with you. And in this invitation, you're inviting us to know you more and to make you known. So Lord, we surrender all this morning. We surrender all of our hopes, all of our dreams, all of our fears, all of our problems, all of our successes. We surrender all things to you knowing that they're in your hands. 
And so, Lord, as we are called to be disciples who make disciples, help us, Lord, wherever we need to grow, wherever we need, still need to change, wherever we still need to prioritize time with you, God, wherever you need to take away, take it away so that we only see you. And God, would you help us to become more like Jesus so the whole world may know what you are like. Lord, we know that you're going to do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine in accordance with your riches in Jesus. And so, God, we, we, we pray this morning for whatever we're facing, that we remember that you are with us, that you are for us, and you love us, and that because of that, we can face anything. And so, Lord, we just pray you would make us more like your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so just a couple quick announcements before you get out of here. If you have a child, you can go and get them in a second. And then if you, even if you didn't bring food, we would love for you to join us at our potluck. Uh, we, we know that people love to eat, and I love to eat, and I would love to eat with you guys. So love to hope to see you out there. Have a good week.